you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9, please. When you look at Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. Father, we look to you to provide your blessing to your word. We look to you as the only one to help us. Oh, Lord, please. I beg you that you'd work this truth into our hearts, into our minds. I beg of you that you would, by your spirit, strengthen us. Make us your people into a loving, trusting, hope-filled people. To the glory and praise of your grace. Amen. I want to have your special attention this morning. I have mics. And I say this because we're going to discover from God's word what I believe is a centerpiece, a centerpiece to our Christian life. It truly is. I have been very excited this week to bring this message to you because there is so much here that can really be transformative for us all. And I truly believe that if this is worked into your life, it will shape you and change you in more ways than almost any other truth you find in Scripture. And I'm not kidding. I didn't think you think I was kidding, but I believe if this sinks deep down into our souls, it will be a game changer. You will live a life with a different perspective and a completely different attitude. Yet the lack of it is what often hinders us from making any progress in the Christian life. And is why life is so often filled with anxiety, fear, stress, and depression. So I would suggest that you plead with God. As we walk through this, plead with Him. That He would, by His Spirit, work this deep into your soul. And that you would leave here today having made progress, having made some growth in this area, and really begin to devote yourself to it. But before I get to the heart of this truth, uh, we need to know the reality within which this truth is experienced. And it is this. Jesus always leads his disciples into difficult and impossible circumstances. Did you hear that? Jesus always. He'll always lead his disciples to a particular place. And that place where he leads them will always appear to you to be impossible and very difficult. And there's a very good reason for it, which we'll see in a bit. But if you look at the beginning of this particular chapter in Luke chapter 9, at verse 10, Jesus, what we have here are the apostles returning to Jesus from their first mission journey. Just at the beginning of chapter 9, you remember that we talked about that. The disciples are sent out by Jesus, and now they've already returned. And they're telling him all that they had done. That's what it says. And then as the text continues on, it says this. And he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowd learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. 
So Jesus, what he's doing is he's seeking to get away with his disciples. He takes them away into Bethsaida, and he's hoping to probably have some time with them. But no, it doesn't happen. The paparazzi shows up. But even more than the paparazzi, we've got thousands of people. He's pretty popular at this point, extremely popular. And he can't get away, but it says that Jesus welcomes them anyways, and he begins to, to minister to them. And then in verse 12, it says, Now the day began to wear away, which means it's becoming night. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions for... This is, cracks me up, helping Jesus out a little bit here. I, I, do you understand? It's getting late, Jesus. It's getting late. These people need food. They need, uh, they need housing. We suggest we send them off. It's probably a good time, Jesus. It informs them, uh, for, this is what he says, uh, for we're in a desolate place. I'm not sure if you've kind of noticed. Yeah, desolate. But he says to them, this is what Jesus responds to them with, you give them something to eat. They said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. <laughs> Little informative part of the text. For there are about 5,000 men. <laughs> Just 5,000 men. So here they're being told to feed several thousand people because you have 5,000 men, and it doesn't say how approximately 5,000 men. It doesn't say women and children, which would have been there as well. There's a lot of people, thousands of people. And yet at this point, how should the disciples be thinking? Shouldn't they begin to think, they've seen quite a bit at this point. You know, come on, Jesus. This is an easy one. Where's that easy button? This is an easy one. You always put us in these crazy circumstances, don't you, Jesus? This is just another situation where you say something crazy. Feed them. Yeah, that's funny. We got a little sack lunch here, and we're supposed to feed them. Because, you know, you do this, Jesus. This is what you do. This is how you've been functioning with us from the beginning. So I'm excited to see how you, Jesus, are going to provide. But notice that's not how they respond. This, they are still, and I repeat, still struggling with how the world works when Jesus is with them. How the world works because Jesus is Lord. They are still operating according to their own logic and according to what their eyes see. Yet, just think for a moment what these guys have seen. They've seen when they're at a wedding and they run out of wine and there's no more wine and then Jesus turns the water into wine. They saw how after they had fished all day and caught nothing as very experienced fishermen. And that Jesus comes along and tells them, say, put out just a little bit, 10 feet offshore, whatever it was. And their nets were so full of fish that they began to rip. They've seen him walk on water and apparently not need a boat. 
They've seen him in the midst of a wicked storm. Wake up, he's sleeping in it, and tell it to calm down, and it instantly obeys him. They've seen him raise people from the dead. Heal every disease known to man. And cause demons to flee at his word. Do you guys realize that these guys have seen all this? This is what they've experienced so far. He's, Jesus has led them into impossible situation after impossible situation. And there was not one time when he didn't do something mind-blowing and miraculous. Shouldn't they have, at this point, got how he works? Shouldn't they, at this point, like, at least maybe thought, saying, Jesus, we don't have to do anything to feed them. You can easily feed them. That's what you do. That's how you operate. You take care of them. You provide. But no, they're still thinking in terms of what they physically have and don't have. Not in terms of what Jesus can provide. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? Aren't we like that? Always thinking and acting in terms of what we see and don't see, what we have and don't have. Always thinking in terms of this is how things work, So, and this things are not working. This is impossible. But you know what? Jesus is still today leading his disciples into the impossible. This is what he does with us. And I bet you if we went around and told some stories, could you tell me of some of the situations you've been in this week, this last month, this last year? Oh, I've got one. I've got one. I've got 10. I've got five. It's easy for us to know that, yes, we're often faced with what to us seems like the impossible or very difficult circumstances. And just like the apostles, what do we do? We panic in the face of these circumstances. We panic. You can see the apostles panic in, in their response when Jesus tells them to have the crowd sit down and feed them. In verse 13, he says this, or they, uh, sorry, they say this, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Or, or unless we go to the market and buy a wad, like tons, set for several thousand people. And I don't know where we're going to get the money for that. But the, the, the disciples can't believe that he just told them to feed them. They're, they're flabbergasted. So now they're in a panic. And then they begin to explain to Jesus, as if he needs it, how it's not going to work, given the sack lunch and you know, all these people. And so the current circumstances are like, they're, Jesus, they're big. They're like, they're called impossible. And then you just asked us to do, like, feed them? That doesn't, that doesn't work. But we get in a horrible habit of facing a difficult or impossible circumstances and then often, this, what is our response? To panic? Or we get angry. Or we get scared. Or we get anxious. Or we just curl up in a ball and get depressed. Are those not kind of common responses? What are we like? 
in some way, shape, or form, we usually act in those circumstances in, in, in patterns. We have habits. Some people get flying, raging mad. They can't believe this is happening to them. Others people curl up in a ball and give up. And we get everything in between. But what do we do generally? We panic in some way and we react and overreact. So let's just say we lose our job and we still have a mortgage. Nice one. That's going to work out. Right? Or we have to decide how to educate our children. But we're horribly ill-equipped and uh, underfinanced. Or let's say the furnace and the hot water tank go kaput on the same day. And we have no emergency fund. Or our car breaks down and it's unfixable and they tell us that we have to, you're going to need to get a new one. Oh, nice, a new one. Uh, have you seen my finances? There's no such thing as new one. Oh, great, God, now what? This is all I needed. Isn't that how we talk? This is all I needed right now. Nice timing. This is horrific. I can't believe this is happening. Can you believe it's happening? We're frustrated. There's no way this is... What's going to happen right now? I'll tell you what's going to happen right now. It's going to destroy us. That's what's going to happen. Because I can do math. I'm not dumb. Last time I checked, 2 plus 2 equals 10. Kidding. The kid's eyes go. <laughs> Only with God. With us, it equals 4, right? Yes. Yet, who brought these situations circumstances, and impossibilities into our lives. Who? Now, we could say, Dean, that's the devil. Well, yes, I do believe in a devil. And I do believe the devil brings nasty circumstances into our lives. However, God ordains and oversees all that comes to pass. So that even if the devil does do something, go read Job, and you see a good interaction between the devil and God. The devil does it, God ordains it and allows it. And all these, but Job doesn't ever see the devil do it. Horrible circumstance after horrible circumstance after horrible circumstance after horrible circumstance. And yeah, Job doesn't say the devil do it, did it. Job falls before God and knows that ultimately where all these things come from. He, God didn't do it, the devil did it, but God allowed it, ordained it, and it came to pass. So who brings these things into our lives? God does. Yet one thing we have to realize, just like the apostles, the apostles, is that Jesus will lead us into impossible circumstances. And he does this not so that he can watch us panic, not so that he gets off and showing us how stupid we are and how great he is. But he's interested in doing something. He's going to, to show us that Jesus, not only does he lead us there, but Jesus always provides in ways we don't expect. Now this is important because I could just have ended with Jesus always provides. 
But then typically what we think is, yeah, he always provides. So that means that means that he should have provided this way and he didn't. So Dean, what you're saying is not true. He doesn't always provide. No, get me on this. He always provides, but almost never in the way you would expect. That part's that part is fundamentally important. If you look at what happens here in the text, you'll be able to find a you you won't, sorry, you will not be able to find a pattern so that you can okay, where's the pattern? Let me figure out how God it works, and I'll figure out the pattern of how it all works out. And then because I like to figure out the pattern because then I can feel in control. Because if I can figure out the pattern, it's nice to be able to see how it's going to work out. And that comforts me. Because when I can figure it all out, figuring it all out is really nice. Because with that, then, then it, it assures me that I, I, I'm, in, I'm still in control. Or at least can think that the world's in control. Or sorry, not chaotic and out of control. But the text starts in verse 16 like this. And taking the, so Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves, kind of like when we're doing communion. And he gives them to his disciples. He's breaking bread and he tells them to set it before the crowd. And so they go out and they start distributing and it says, and then they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. So they're taking the leftovers, and there's 12 baskets full. Probably not, certainly not coincidental. There's 12 apostles. There's 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 baskets. And there's an abundance. They started with little, fed thousands, and ended with an abundance. Now, the math doesn't work, guys, I know. It doesn't, no matter how you slice it. But I'm sure they were expecting, even, even at the point, to think Jesus breaks the bread, gives it to them, and they start handing it out. They're probably thinking, okay, some bread, some fish. This isn't going to go very far. <laughs> bread, fish. And the weird part is, I don't know how it happened, but it was probably, it, it, it wouldn't have been like, just keeps growing. It would have been like, how come it doesn't, Go away. Like, I, like, they can't even figure out how it's happening. It's like this. So, hey, how many people have you given bread to? 20? I'm, I'm I have the same amount. <laughs> it's like, it's not making sense. Okay, keep going. And, and it's just blowing their mind. It's just because they're not, they're probably, I can guarantee it, they didn't see it like this miraculous, like all of a sudden it starts to grow, but it just, it wouldn't go away. They couldn't see how it wouldn't go away. It was like, Oh, well, we, we, ended with, we ended with what we started with, and I don't know how that happened. And I guarantee you can, the whole process would have been like mentally inconceivable for them. It just wouldn't have worked. Like, it's not making sense. I don't understand it. Let's just do it. So they were simply told to, to distribute what they had. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They didn't know how it was all working out. And they could have never guessed how it would have happened. And if you look at Jesus' pattern, go through, I'd I, I love you to do this. Pound through the Gospels, just read them. And, if, and read them just for this one thing. Scan them and read every time Jesus does a miracle to people. And you'll find out he just loves to mess with the whole process. 
Like, you remember the time when guy's blind and why did he grab mud and spit in it and rub it in his eye? That, that was an odd one. You know, he's doing things throughout, and the way in which he does it, he does it so that he messes with them. Like, because you know, he knows what we're like. What we're like as people. Have you found this? We're always looking for the pattern, because that's why we're superstitious. Last time I wore this tie, the Hawks won. <laughs> I got the pattern. I'm wearing it again. <laughs> yeah. And they won again. Can you believe it? And so we start, we might not tell anybody this, but we're, caught, we're addicted to find patterns. We're like, we want to see. And this is why we're so quickly and easily superstitious. Because we think that there's these patterns that you figure them out. And it's like, I'm on to it, guys. I have not brushed my teeth in a year. <laughs> and I still have no friends. <laughs> you know, I think it really would it, it would have been like Elisha. You remember those stories, man? I wish you just read the Bible if you want to see how God does not have patterns and you can't figure them out, and He's just constantly shifting, shifting, doing it differently, differently. Just go read the stories in the Old Testament where God shows up and He delivers His people, and He does it time and time and again. And every time they they must have like just been scratching their heads like sometimes he has the army going out and I want you to sing songs and stand there other times I want you to fight but cut your crew in half you know and there's a time in in the second kings I love the story just read it this week where God delivers Israel and Israel was wicked at the time and and Syrians came and sieged put siege walls around Samaria and there was such a nasty famine that the, they started eating their children. It was, it was bad. It was ugly. Nasty. And God had compassion on them. And it's weird. I don't even, the text doesn't explain why. His compassion is just that he told them he was going to bring this judgment. But these people were wicked. He described some of their wickedness. They had fallen into complete wickedness. And he decides to deliver them. So he sends Elisha, the prophet, to go and tell the people of Samaria. He says, thus says the Lord. Come tomorrow, things are going to be different. <coughs> Excuse me. He tells them that, and here is, um, here is what he shows up to say in 2 Kings 7, 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of flour, fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now you're thinking, seas and shekels. What's he talking about? Uh, a bunch of it. A C is a, is a whole bunch of it, and a shekel is a whole little. So a whole bunch, here's an easy translation, a whole bunch is going to be sold real little. That's what it translates to. Then the captain of, of those whose hand the king leaned on said to the man, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, this is what Elisha said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. What Elijah is saying here is that the, this, this flour and this barley is going to be tomorrow. The next day, it's going to be in such abundance that it's going to be cheap. 
But listen, this is what the conditions were. This is why that's a tough statement to make. In chapter 7, verse 25, it says that a, a, at this time of the famine, a fourth of a pigeon's dung yeah. was sold for five shekels of silver. So pile of dung, well, it would have been that pile. I mean, pigeons. We're talking pigeons. That was more like a teaspoon. Yeah. So a quarter of a teaspoon. Yeah, grand. was sold for five shekels of silver. So the next day, somehow, okay, think of that. <laughs> That's almost a laugher, right? Because it's so severe. Like in their minds, their minds can't get around how, how you try to think of a way that could happen. And you're trying, well, I suppose, yeah, God could, right? He could just open up the heavens and dump trucks could, uh, wheat and barley could fall. Like, sure. But what God does is just fascinating. So the Syrians are encamped outside the city. And that night, he has them hear the sounds of a massive army. So that their minds are thinking, oh no, the Israelites must have somehow summoned all the Egyptians and all the Hittites, and they're all coming against us. So who knows what they heard, but they were ter- it says they were terrified. They were so afraid that they left, ran instantly, leaving horses. If you've got to get on a horse... And, and take off on the horse. They start running for their lives and hiding and, and disappearing. So the next day, they walk into the camp of the Syrians and horses and donkeys, mules and food. I mean, they were set up there and they just had a superabundance and it overflowed. Well, who would have thought of that? Nobody. I would have, if I was there, my mind would have thought more about heaven actually opening up somehow. But again, God, he's not going to give you some pattern that you can follow. It's like, you go through and he might do something the same way a couple times in scriptures, but it's just often, it's different every time. He always delivers his people, but it's never in the way they expect it. Never in the way they expect it. And this is how it is with us. It's never in the way we expect it. You know what? We think in our worlds according to common cause and effect. We live in a world, right? That's how it is. You do this, you get this. You do this, you get this. Who set this world up? God did. So he, we've got all these patterns and we live according to patterns. You, ha- you get money, you work, you pay your bills. Don't have money, don't work, don't pay your bills. The collectors come after you. I know how it works. <laughs> this, is, this is how the world works. And so we have a hard time of thinking about any other option being possible. And we never want to say, oh, um, you know, we know we're good Christians, right? All things are possible with God. Who wouldn't admit that? All things are possible with God. Why are you so freaked out? Well, <laughs> You see my situation? Yeah. Well, I thought all things are possible with God. Well, they are, but clearly he's not doing anything this time. <laughs> clearly. You know, we're so weak in our faith that when we're faced with circumstances that are difficult or impossible, we immediately begin to grumble against God and doubt 
his provision. This is, and, and you know what? We're so weak that we need to constantly be pushed and tested. You watch the disciples, you know, they, they get better. And as you go through Acts, you see that the, they respond differently. They, they no longer are so childish and weak in the faith. And when you look at what they're doing in Acts, as they were then. And Jesus, the common refrain you see of Jesus, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. If you would only trust me, if you'd only believe in me, you would see me do great things. Because I, I'm God. And nothing is impossible for me. You know, Jesus, Jesus could have made... He could have turned the rocks into bread. He could have had bread fall from heaven, which he's done before. He could have had the grass all of a sudden grow up, and at the end, there'd be a hot dog. I would have liked that one. He could have. But he didn't. In this particular case, it's like, no, just go start giving it to them. Okay. It's, you see, and, and, and if, you're, if these guys know their Bible, they're probably thinking Bible stories, trying to figure out, you know, how might this one, maybe, maybe bread will fall from heaven this time. Ah, it'll be kind of like the uh, Exodus in the wilderness. This will be, but, you know, you know, have no indication that their mind's even going there. What they are is they're panicking. But then Jesus always provides in the face of the impossible. <coughs> and you know what? If you've walked with God for some time, I guarantee you your, your testimony is more sure. As you get older and you continue to walk with him, you'd say, yes, I have to admit he does always provide, but rarely in the way I'd expect. Isn't that true? He always provides, but it's not in the way that you expect. But you have to learn to trust him even when it's not working out the way you think it would. In uh, this last week, I heard a story. Uh, Gene Helsel and I, the, he was here, preached the pastor from Wenatchee. We got together for lunch and we talked, and he shared a story with me about how this is just so true. They went up to, years ago when he was young, him and two other guys went up to Mount Baker skiing. And they get up there and, and they had a really, really tight budget. Like it was basically just enough for the tickets, just enough for some lunch, just enough to get home. Well, they get up there because, you know, they're poor college students who are living it's on, a, on you know, a razor's edge. Gets up there, his bindings blow out, he's got nothing, and so instead of sitting there for the day, they decide, well, they take the food money. <laughs> take the food money and rent some skis. And he says, I remember praying. He said, oh, Jesus, somehow provide. <laughs> somehow provide. And they take and they buy the, they rent the skis and they go skiing. And at the end of the day, they're driving home. And this lady's on the side of the road. She has a flat. And so they pull over and, and say, hey, can we help you out? And he says, sure. I don't, try, I don't know how to change my tire. So he gets down there and changes her tire, puts a new one on. And, and he's like, everything okay? Yeah. She's about ready to go. He goes, she goes, hey, stop. Wait a second. She says, I want you to have this. Hands him some money. He's like, no, no. No way. There's no way I'm taking money for this. This is, uh, I did not do this for money. I just really want to help you out. There's no way. She, and then he says, so he started leaving, and she grabbed him again. Take this. 
And he's like, no, I cannot take this. And there's just no way I can take this. I'd feel horrible if I took this. He starts to walk away, and he says, she grabbed him and looked at him. He's like, all of a sudden, it dawned on me. He's like, you idiot. (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) And he took it. And you know what? It's, I, I thought, it was, what a wonderful story. He says, he says, the problem I had with that situation, it just it was just all wrong to me. And it, it, it's not what I expected. The whole time, you're kind of like hoping you'd fi- be skiing down the slopes and, oh, a 20. <laughs> but isn't that what we're like? It's, and that, isn't that what Jesus is like? It's not what you expected. And that's what we have to get used to living like. We have to become people who understand. Here's one thing you have to expect. Expect when you leave here to walk into a life where you faced impossible circumstances. Don't expect or think a life where you skip along blissfully thinking, wonderful life, blessings all around, Jesus is my Savior. Uh, that, that's not, that's not the life that you're promised. Expect to, expect the car to probably break down. Expect the furnace to go out. Expect to, to some, one day or another lose your job. Expect it. Look into the face of the impossible and say, here we go again, Jesus. Here we go again. But what we have to learn to respond in is faith. To believe and trust that he will provide in ways I don't understand. Here's a, be, be careful, please. Don't respond in ways to try to calculate, do the math, figure out, okay, Jesus, how will you come through? Probably somehow, probably get the money wired somehow, I don't know. You know. Don't do that. It will not be that way. It won't be. He will provide, but he'll do it in a way you don't expect. Just think for a moment. Think right now for a moment. What causes you to worry and fret? Do you worry and fret about finances, work, children, education, housing, relationships, all the above? (laughs) And why do these things cause such problems in our lives? Why do they cause this? Because, you know what, we face situations that feel impossible to us. And here's, here's some news for you. Jesus is leading you there. And he's going to continue to. I'm sorry, guys, but the thing he wants more than anything for all of you, the only thing that, what's the only thing that pleases God? Faith. What does Hebrews 11 say? Apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. He doesn't need, you know, God isn't impressed with your church going and Bible reading and your prayers and all your other religious activity. You think, God must be so pleased on me. I'm due, I'm due for a good blessing because this is how it works because I know how the world works. I just do these things and I look and I got my life pretty together. You know, it's not, I'm not out, you know, murdering anybody. But so, here, you know, look, look at me compared to all these other people. It's just that is so wrongheaded because he looks at you. He says, child, what I want from you, I want from you is your absolute trust of me. That's what I want. The only thing that delights me is when you trust me, even in the face of impossibility. When you come to the edge and you're standing there going, oh, no. 
and your mind's trying to think of all the ways in which this is going to go wrong. He's trying to teach you to say, Lord, this is crazy. And I'm just really interested to see how you're going to get me out of this one. That delights him. And you say, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know you will. That brings him pleasure. Pleasure that you trust him. Just think of what Paul was trying to get forward to the people in Philippi. Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 where he tells them to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, heart, heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you know what he's exhorting them to do? He says, people, you know what your part is? Your part is to pray. Jesus' part is to provide. Your part is to pray with him. And you know what knows how he tells them to pray? Make these, take, take whatever causes you anxiety and stress. This is how he, take them to him. And notice there's something in there. With thanksgiving. I don't want to guarantee you, if you look at the way God works, it's like this. Oh, Lord, you know. You know my circumstances. You know what's going on. You know how I fret and worry. You know, see this happening right here. You, you know my finances. Oh, Lord, I thank you for how you're going to provide. And I'm looking forward to see how this happens. Now that, and I, I, somebody who does that can take their stress, their worry, and leave it before God and put their trust in him. And somebody who does that, you know what they get in return? The peace of God that surpasses understanding. So your anxieties and your fears and your tremblings and your worryings, where should that drive you? To the throne of grace. But it should drive you in a certain way. Don't go whining and grumbling and complaining and just like end it there and say, go there and give it to him and give him thanks for how he's going to answer in ways you don't expect. That's so important. You've got to believe that, yes, Lord, you are going to, this is going to be crazy, but you're going to provide. And believe me, people, that pleases the Father. It pleases him. And it's a game changer in your life. It is the central component to the Christian life is faith. Faith that holds fast to the promises of God. Faith that gives thanks in the face of impossibility. Because what is faith after all? What does Hebrews 11.1 say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But what I hope for and what I believe in and know is that Jesus always provides but never in ways that I could predict it. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. So much for how you've provided. You've always been faithful. You've never disappointed. You've always delivered. You've always given what we've needed. 
but never in ways that we would expect. That's how you are. And I know that we're going to face many more trials and many, many more impossible circumstances, O oh Lord. We know it's coming. It's from your hand. Because you want nothing more than for us to have an abandon towards you, a confidence and a trust that you will provide. And I know you will. O oh Lord, would you please furnish and strengthen our weak little faith. And as we walk through life, May, our, may these situations and circumstances that befall us all not, not wreck our faith, but further strengthen our faith as we see how you provide. Have mercy on us, O oh God, and strengthen our faith that we would have trust you with full abandon. For we ask this in Jesus. Amen.